Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Neil Ferguson, uh, the Milbank Family Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, and I'm delighted to welcome you to Hoover Capital Conversations. A Capital Conversations is an ongoing series featuring discussions between those who generate the ideas that enable a free society and those who turn them into actionable policy. We invite you to listen and participate in discussions between our issue experts and policymakers as they consider solutions to some of our most challenging problems. Today, uh, we're fortunate to be talking to Senator Rick Scott. As part of the discussion, we'll be taking audience questions and encourage you to submit yours at the Q&A button located at the bottom of your screen. Okay, let's get started. Senator Scott needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one. Uh, he was elected to the U.S. Senate representing Florida in 2018. Prior to his election to the Senate, he served two terms as the 45th governor of Florida. Having studied law and served in the Navy, he had a successful career in private health care and venture capital before going into politics. As governor, he presided over a boom in Florida that created nearly 1.5 million jobs. He currently serves on five Senate committees, Homeland Security, Armed Services, Commerce, Science and Transportation, Budget and the Special Committee on Aging, and he's chair of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. Welcome, Senator Scott. You know, it's great, great to be with you. What you should be excited about is Bernie Sanders is the chair of the Budget Committee. So you know we're heading in the right direction, right? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment, because I do want to talk about uh, fiscal issues. But I thought it might be good to begin uh, by talking about disasters, because as governor of Florida, you, you had to contend with Hurricane Irma. I think that was 2017. And, and it gave you, I think, uh, a, a taste of, of what it is to handle uh, a disaster. Let me ask first, what did you learn from that experience? You know, it's interesting. I, my business background, I, I ran <clears throat> a variety of companies. And in uh, 1992, we had Hurricane Andrew and I was running a hospital company and our biggest market was Miami. So we had, we had one hospital completely demolished. We evacuated uh, two hospitals. Um, and, and then while I was governor, we had four hurricanes, four major hurricanes. We had a healthcare crisis. What I've learned in all those, show up, give people all the information you can, and really you should feel comfortable that people will do the right thing. I mean, they want to take care of each other. They, they will, if you give them good information, they'll actually make really good decisions. You don't need to, government doesn't need to mandate everything to you. And those, those four major hurricanes in Irma uh, was bigger than our entire state. We never, I never mandated anybody leave their homes. Yeah, over 6 million people left their homes to get to shelters. We added open over 700 shelters. We didn't say, oh, you got it. You got to get out of your, you, you're mandated to get out of your house. No, we never did. We said, this is, this is what's happening. We constantly told people, we said, this is what we can do to help you. And by the way, if you decide to stay, you have to realize no one can help you for a period of time until after the storm passes. So we just inform people. Uh, so, and people make good decisions. Uh, so, and that's what I believe about government. Government should be there to provide you information, good information, consistent information, accurate information, and then allow you to make good decisions. 
Listening to you, I'm, I'm thinking that doesn't sound like a great description of the U.S. response to COVID-19. Uh, looking back, and of course, it's not over, so we shouldn't be premature, but looking back at last year, what would you say went wrong and what could the United States have done better with that national, indeed global, disaster? Well, the first thing, the biggest thing that went right was we got the vaccine. Uh, Operation Warp Speed worked. Uh, we got a vaccine out quickly. Um, and and then, you know, everybody worked to make sure that it got out to people. So that's what that's what I think they, they did really well. I think what they could have done better at every level of government is give people better information. Uh, to, to this day, think about it. We, you know, so I'm a positive blood type, right? I should I should have a pretty good idea by now. Did I have a better, do I have a better chance of getting COVID? With my blood type or less. I mean, I mean, we don't. We to this day we don't know. I mean, there's so many things that by now, with the number of people that uh, have have tested positive for COVID, we ought to have pretty good information. But we still don't. We still don't have any of that information. So I, I think what we, what the government should have done at every level is give us better information. You don't have to tell us how to lead our lives. We will try to be safe. I, I plan. I got a lot of goals for myself. Uh, my family wants to do things, so I plan on being around. So just give me good information. I'll make good decisions. I think Americans will do that. Uh, let me uh, look ahead now. The, the next big disaster we're told almost uh, every day of the week is going to arise from climate change. And... I certainly accept that there are all kinds of adverse uh, scenarios that could arise from uh, from greenhouse gas emissions. I don't dismiss that threat. But are there other things we should be worrying about? Because I sometimes feel as if we're expected to worry only about that. And we were perhaps focusing only on that back in January 2020 when a pandemic was beginning. What other things, when you look ahead, should be should we be concerned about? Well, I think right now we've got a crisis on our border. Um, you know, in March, um, 177,000 people, I think it was apprehended. We don't know how many people weren't apprehended. We have over what, tw over 25,000 children in custody. That's clearly a crisis. And um, in many places around the country, we still don't have our schools open. Uh, that's a crisis, especially for our poorest families that don't have the financial wherewithal to get their children into um, a private school. We've got an unbelievable debt crisis. Um, we're going to be, we're going to hit $30 trillion for the worth of uh, debt pretty quickly here with no plan. There's no plan uh, to, to, uh, to control the amount of debt we have. I mean, think about it. We've gone from what about $6 trillion worth of debt, which we thought was high 20 years ago to $30 trillion. Uh, there's no plan at the Federal Reserve to deal with it. There's no plan uh, with Secretary Yellen to deal with it. There's no plan. We're seeing inflation. Um, you look at gasoline prices. I think they're up over 70 cents a gallon since November 3rd. Food prices are up. Household good prices are up. So it looks like, I hope it's not true. It looks like we've got, we're gonna have a significant problem with inflation. It's very hard to control inflation once it starts. Uh, so I think those are some of the big things. And then, then the other crisis we've got is communist China. I mean, they are, they are absolutely committed. They are committed to take away our way of life. They want to dominate the world. They don't believe in freedom. We we'll ask the people in Hong Kong if they believe in freedom, they don't. Um, so I think we've got to understand Communist China is trying to build a military to defeat us. 
they don't believe in any of our values. They want to control the entire uh, economy and how everybody deals with each other all over the world. They want to, they want they want to be the dominant power to tell everybody how to lead their lives. I want to get to those foreign policy uh, and domestic policy challenges uh, in just a moment. I just want to throw in one kind of political question before we go on to that. Some people would say that for the Republican Party, uh, January was a disaster. Yeah, maybe one could go all the way back and say November was a disaster. The presidency was lost. uh, Control of the Senate was lost. There was a, a riot at the, the Capitol, uh, and 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 you were one of those who, who voted against certifying uh, Pennsylvania's uh, electoral college vote. Are we in a position to see a recovery from that sequence of events? Uh, and and if so, how do you envisage political recovery for the Republican Party? Oh, I'm very optimistic. First off, think about it. Take take uh, the Congress. First off, they thought everybody said that Congress was going to lose 15 seats and the House, Republican House picked up, I think, 15 seats. In the Senate, the projection was we'd be down um, to you know, 48, 47 Republican senators. We're at 50. We should have been higher. Um, the We unfortunately lost the presidency. But if you look at right now, we're, I'm the chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. We are uh, we're out raising the Democrat Senatorial Committee uh, for the first quarter. Uh, we're doing really way better than anybody thought we would. We are there's great people showing up to run. And the reason is, is they see that the Biden agenda is not a good agenda for the country. Americans don't want an open border, closed schools. They don't want men to play in women's sports. They don't want to kill the Keystone Pipeline. They don't want to make become energy uh, dependent on the Middle East again. Uh, so and and they don't want they don't want elections that are not secure. So what the Biden agenda is, and they're and the Americans are worried about the debt and inflation. So uh, I mean, just there was a poll that came out just this week. I think said that 87 percent of Americans are worried about inflation. So we I, we're going to do really well in twenty two. Unfortunately, we're going to have to fight off a lot of bad um, Biden policies in the meantime. Looking back, do you, I mean, do you think, given all that went wrong last year, that ultimately Donald Trump deserved to lose the presidency? Well, you, you know, I, I've had one primary election and three general elections, and basically the election comes down to two people, and you've got to convince people that you're, you can do a better job and you care more about them than the other person. Um, unfortunately, um, Joe Biden won the election, um, and, but if you look around the country, we did well with governor's races. We did well with state house and Senate races. Uh, in my home state of Florida, we have now seven, I think it's 78 out of 120 house members are Republican. Uh, 24 out of 40 senators are Republican. So I think if you look around the country, Republicans did well. So unfortunately we lost the presidency. So we have to fight uh, to uh, make sure we tell people what the Republican party stands stands for we are the party of opportunity i make it real simple i'm a kid that grew up in public housing i never met met my dad i had a tough as nails mom that told me you're going to go to church all the time you're going to go you're going to make straight a's you're going to be an eagle scout and get out of the house and make some money it was a great upbringing because she said i live in this country i can be anything 
So that's what I want. I want this, I want this country to have that same, everybody in this country have the same opportunity. That's what the Republican Party stands for. The idea that any one of us can be anything. And that's what the Republican Party is. And that's why we're going to win in 22 and take the presidency back in 24. So while it's become very uh, popular, certainly in the mainstream media, uh, to beat up on Donald Trump, there's no denying that he uh, oversaw a drastic change in our our foreign policy, uh, and, and in particular towards China. And it's very striking to me that the new administration appears to be continuing uh, that policy in, uh, in most of its essentials. So let's talk a little bit about uh, that fundamental shift away from essentially uh, acqui- acquiescing in, in China's rise to trying to do something about it. You mentioned earlier, and I think uh, uh, many of us at the Hoover Institution would agree that China poses a fundamental threat to the idea of, uh, of freedom around the world and a threat to to U.S. national security and the security of U.S. allies. So what exactly should we be doing about that as a nation? And do you think the Biden administration is, is doing uh, the right things? Well, I think the Biden administration is not uh, aggressive enough. Number one, every American should do everything he can for to one, to buy American products, but never, never, never by anything produced in communist China. Never. You should say to yourself, I'm not going to do it because they steal our jobs. I'm not going to do it because they steal our technology. I'm not going to do it because they put a million people into prison for their religion. I'm not going to do it because they harvest organs. I'm not going to do it because they took away the basic rights of Hong Kong citizens. I'm not going to do it because they're threatening Taiwan right now. So so what we've got to understand is as we buy Chinese products, we're helping them build their economy and they're taking that money to try to ultimately dominate us. And so I think the Biden administration has been, has to be more clear that what they're doing with the Uyghurs, stealing, stealing technology, all these things, the Hong Kong is horrible. Be vocal about it every day. I, what I try to do in my job is every day, let people know what, what that communist China is not our friend. They are not our friend. Uh, so we've got, we've got to fight that every day. We've got to make sure to tell people the Ayatollah. I mean, look at, look at just what happened this week where the, you know, they, one of our uh, destroyers had to, had to uh, stop an attack by some Iranian um, boats. I mean, we've got to understand, we, we can't go back into the Iran deal. We've got to hold Castro account, the Castro regime accountable in Cuba. We've got to help get freedom and liberty in Venezuela. We got to fight for what we what we cherish. We got to do everything we can to fight for those things in other countries. If we don't, then what's going to happen? We'll have fewer people that want to live the way we live, and we'll have less opportunity for all Americans. Let, let me turn now to some of the domestic policy issues that you as a senator are are grappling with. Now, you've already mentioned the crisis on the southern border and the sudden increase in the number of people crossing uh, that border uh, illegally. Uh, What should we do about that problem broadly? And maybe second question, is there ever going to be a reform of our immigration system? It feels like it's been tried and it, and it's failed uh, more than once. And yet there's a kind of consensus that something needs to be reformed. So what should we do and can there be reform of, 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 our, of our legislation? Well, I'm hopeful 
that uh, we can do two things. And we and you you basically can't do one without the other. Okay, we need to have a secure border. We need to know who's coming across the border. Uh, number that's number one. Number two is we have to have an immigration system that that people are you know that I you know people come to this country and live this dream. I'm from an immigration state. Think of how many people are in Florida today that grew up in other countries. A lot of it Latin America, but some of it Eastern Europe, some of it from all over the world. And they want to live here to live our dream. So let's make sure we we have an immigration system that we we uh, we get the right people to come in that want to live our dream, don't want to uh, change our system to a socialist system. Um, and so, but it takes it takes. You got you to gotta secure the border. I, I did a tour with uh, Governor Ducey from Arizona now about five weeks ago. And it, it was so frustrating. We put the money up under the Trump administration to build the wall along there. The wall would be up, but there'd be these nice openings for people to walk through. Those were the gates that were supposed to go up and Joe Biden decided not to put them up. Or we saw all these really nice lights and cameras that were put up so they could, Border Patrol could watch um, so they would ha not have to be at every place along the border. Well, they just didn't turn on the electricity. And then there was uh, there was the um, uh, roads along the fence, so border patrol, patrol could get out there if somebody was illegally crossing. I mean, it, it, and they just they were letting it wash away. So secure the border, and then do everything you can to improve the educate the immigration system. We need to take care of the DACA uh, kids right now. There's no reason to wait. I mean, they didn't, they didn't come here and intentionally violate the law. They were they brought here by somebody else, by their parents or another family member. Uh, so they, you know, as long as they're living our dream, they ought to, you know, have the same have the same rights that we all have to, uh, to be here. I had a pro, I had a bill to fix the temporary protective status. That's a program to when you have an earthquake in another country and some some people here like what happened in Haiti. I said let's fix the system so it actually works because right now the system doesn't work. Every Republican signed on and agreed that we would give te uh, temporary protective status to the Venezuelans that are here because of Maduro. I couldn't get in the Democrats blocked it. Now, one Democrat would help me. And so, so it seems like up here, it's, it, there's not interest in getting something done. I mean, Joe Biden's not doing anything to get anything done uh, with regard to immigration reform. And the Democrats don't. They talk about it. They talk about it like they like, like to do things, but it's all talk. There's no action. Do you favor shifting to a, a point system, uh, something along the lines that uh, other countries uh, have to try to assess uh, uh, applicants uh, for residency and, and citizenship uh, according to their economic capabilities? Well, I, th I think we ought, to, we ought to say to ourselves, we want immigration. Um, actually, I believe we need immigration as continue to grow um, our country. But you got to do it with people that want to live our dream, want to come here and work hard and believe in the American system. I uh, don't want to change this into a socialist country. I want to talk about two more things before we go to the Q&A, which we'll do in just five minutes time. One is education uh, and, the, and the other is economics. So one of the things that is very striking about the United States today is that the educational institutions from the elite universities right down to public schools in states like California seem to be in the grip of an ideology that is uh, profoundly illiberal and in many ways inimical to the American values uh, on which this republic was founded. This is the so-called woke movement. Uh, 
Do you or anybody in the Republican Party have an answer to this problem, uh, which appears to uh, have become a really rather insuperable one uh, from universities to public schools? Sure. Do what I did in Florida. First off, um, give as much as you can do. Um, give, the, give the parents the money and let them choose the school they want to go to. Parents, parents really care about their kids. I always thought there were three things I was my responsibility as governor was make sure people can get a good education, make sure their kids can get a great job, or I mean, one, a good job, number two, a good education, and number three, keep them safe in safe communities. So if you gave the parents the money, the tax dollars that we're spending on K-12 education, they're going to make pretty good choices. On top of that, what I did with the university system is I, I changed the system to say, I'm going to pay based on three things. What's it cost to get a degree? Do you get a job? How much money do you make? And you get to focus on what the focus was when I went to school. I didn't have, I had, you know, I had the GI Bill because I'd served in the Navy when I went uh, to school. Um, but I, I had to figure out, it didn't just pay for everything. I, had to, I got a set amount a month. I was working full time. My wife was working full time. And we said, okay, what's this going to cost us? Do we get a better job? And so we were focused on how do we got, how we did that. And these schools have, have lost sight of what their job is. Their job is to prepare people for a job. Get, don't, they, I don't want these kids to end up with any debt. I didn't end up with any debt when I finished school uh, because I worked and I had the GI Bill and I watched what the cost was. Cost have just skyrocketed. So when I left two years ago as governor of Florida, our higher education system was number one in the United States according to US News and World Report is because I got them focused on what people cared about. What's it cost? Do you get a job? How much money do you make when you finish? So let me turn now to, to the final uh, uh, set of questions, which really relate to the economy. You mentioned already concern about uh, inflation uh, amongst the public is growing. We have had a succession of multi-trillion uh, dollar spending uh, bills and we're not yet done, it seems. Uh, there is the loosest monetary policy uh, in the history of the Federal Reserve. Uh, and now uh, talk of uh, higher uh, taxation, corporate income and, and capital gains. Uh, so how concerned are you personally about uh, the inflation risk and, uh, and more generally about, about the risks that, uh, that this is going to uh, take in together uh, amount to a major uh, body blow to, to an economy that was looking very strong indeed uh, just prior to the pandemic? I think, I think we're headed towards a very difficult time. Um, I mean, just look at what the Federal Reserve's done, grown their balance sheets now up to almost $8 trillion. And when I talked to Jay Powell, he's talking about adding another trillion plus dollars to their balance sheet. Why? I mean, why are they, why are they still today buying U.S. Treasuries. U.S. Treasuries are supposed to be the most secure investment in the world. Why does our Federal Reserve have to keep buying them up every month? Uh, so, and, and this, this, this growth in the money supply, it has always historically see, ended up in inflation. This unbelievable government spending, and just think about it. We had this so-called COVID bill this year, $1.9 trillion, less than 10% actually had anything to do, do with COVID. Uh, now they're talking about the so-called infrastructure bill has very little to do with infrastructure that's over two trillion and now, now tonight, um, you know, Joe Biden's gonna talk about another almost two trillion dollar bill. I mean, we're, I mean, we're already running deficits. We were running deficits 
before COVID hit a year ago, our deficit was still gonna be over a trillion dollars. We have gotta live within our means. I'm fighting right now to, uh, to make sure that we stop raising this debt ceiling every year. Let's figure out, let's make the tough choices to figure out how to live within our means. If we don't, here's who gets hurt. Families like mine growing up. I mean, when gasoline prices go, gas goes up, but 70 cents a gallon since November 3rd, I mean, it, the rich are gonna be fine. If they raise it a buck, who cares? But the poor, the poor, it's, it's a bigger portion of their income. Food prices are up 3.6% according to the Bureau of Labor, Labor and Statistics. It seems to me they're up higher than that. Housing prices, look what's happened to housing prices. So how do you get started anymore in this country? And so we're hurting the families that are struggling to make ends meet, families that are struggling to get ahead, families like mine growing up. My mom said I could be anything. Well, gosh, if you can't, if, if, if your wages never step with inflation, you, it's very difficult to do it. So I'm very concerned about the debt. I'm very concerned about the inflation. And I'm most concerned is that Joe Biden doesn't care. He will, he will not lift a finger to deal with all these crises right now. Uh, if you're just joining us, I'm Hoover Senior Fellow Neil Ferguson, and this is Hoover's Capital Conversations with Senator Rick Scott. We'll take some questions now. And uh, just a reminder, you can submit yours at the Q&A button at the top uh, of your screen. Uh, if you have a, a question, uh, go right ahead and do that. We have a few already, I am glad to say. And the first one I'm going to go to is from William who asks, what should we do if China takes actions against Taiwan? What actions could we take if they actually act against Taiwan? And I guess act against could mean anything from outright invasion uh, to uh, a blockade. Uh, you're an ex-Navy guy, so this is uh, in your ballpark. Yeah, let's just talk scenarios here. I hear some pretty scary ones. Uh, and if you want to get uh, real scared, read Jim Stavridis's uh, new novel, uh, Imagining Full-Blown War. So, yeah, what could they do and what would we do in return? Well, the, the biggest thing what America has to do is we've got to, you know, we've got to have a strong military. We've got to be absolutely clear with what our, our, yeah, our goals are. And when we, if we're strong, we will stop, you know, we'll stop people from doing foolish things. When you're weak, that's when people, uh, like other countries, make bad decisions. When you're not clear, that's when countries make, make bad decisions. So what we've got to do is we, unfortunately, because of what Communist China is doing, what Russia is doing, what the Ayatollah and, uh, and Iran's doing, we have to continue to invest significant dollars on our military. So we're, most, we're the most lethal military in the world that no one even wants to think about, about ever confronting us. If we don't do that, we're gonna be confronted. That's step one. Step two is with Taiwan, we've gotta be absolutely clear. I've got a bill called the Taiwan Invasion, Invasion Protection Act. And I don't wanna be, ambi you know, there should be no ambiguity. We will, no question about it, we will defend an invasion by communist China of Taiwan. Now we're not saying that, that you know we're not saying that Taiwan has to go take any action uh, to say they're they're going to be you know they're clearly independent. That's a choice they get to make. But they're a thriving democracy right now, and we've got to make it clear that we will support them. Now, part of that is making sure we work well with Taiwan, uh, work well with South Korea, work well with Japan, 
work well with India. We've got to make sure that that as communist China is trying to figure out how to their next step after taking away all the basic rights of the Hong Kong citizens. All right, we've got to say who should be on our you know on our side. Those countries clearly Indonesia, all these countries they they do not want to be controlled. Uh, by communist China. So, but let's be let's be clear about let's be clear-eyed about this. Let's tell them exactly what we're going to do, and let's invest in our military. I'm disappointed in the Biden administration's um, military proposal uh, for defense spending. I'm going to I'm going to work hard to make sure we have a strong, efficient, very lethal uh, military. I have another question here on on a, a COVID uh, topic. Uh, it's from Kalanit. Permitting people to make their own decisions regarding seeking shelter in a hurricane is different from a mask mandate. The former decision impacts the individual alone. The latter impacts your neighbors. Uh, these are qualitatively different comments. I, I actually, I actually trust people. I actually believe people can make it. I, I think people can make a good decision. Um, and, you know, so, uh, you know, but finally the, I mean, think about it. CDC just took into what this week said when we're outside and we've been vaccinated uh, that you don't have to wear a mask. Uh, so I actually, I actually, I'm very comfortable that people make good decisions. I, I want to be healthy. I'm, my family wants to be health, healthy. I think we'll make good decisions for ourselves and other people. Do you take the same view in vaccines? Can I ask? I took, I, what I did was I had COVID uh, in November. Uh, and so I've, I've been testing to have that, that I have the antibodies, but I've already taken the first vaccine. Um, and I'll take, be taking the shot, second shot, I think, in two weeks. Let's uh, move on while time uh, is uh, still on our side. Uh, uh, we only have another 10 minutes of your time because I know you have to go back to your day job and do some voting uh, pretty soon. Uh, Here's a question uh, from, from Chase. What can students do on college campuses uh, to stand against the CCP regime, the Chinese Communist Party re regime, and stand for freedom in the U.S.? I think the biggest thing is inform people. Um, tell people what's going on. A lot of people don't really know what's happening to the Uyghurs. They don't know what's happening with uh, the harvesting of organs. They don't know about the, you know, the Chinese espionage, stealing jobs. They don't, they're not... They're not familiar with the fact that the, the basic rights of Hong Kong citizens were, were just taken away from them uh, during the pandemic. Uh, Communist China took, you know, uh, you know, took advantage of, of what was going on in, in the world at the time. So I think the biggest thing is talk, tell everybody what's going on. Because when you stop and think about the list of things that Communist China is doing, it's disgusting to every American citizen that believes in freedom and liberty. And so when they do that, what will happen is people stop buying Chinese products and they'll start calling Chinese, China out for what they're doing. I've been calling on uh, everybody to work on getting the Olympics that are supposed to be held in communist China next year, the Winter Olympics moved. We there's ability to move the Olympics. I've asked the Biden administration for their help. Uh, there's about 180 uh, human rights organizations around the world that are very focused on this. The parliament of, uh, uh, Canada has said that they ought to be moved. So if all of us, you know, focus on this and get up in arms about the things that are happening, guess what? Things are going to change. Um, but if we if we sit here and we think everything's going to work out, I mean, I'm I'm very concerned about these crises that that uh, is happening in our country and around the world right now. 
just a quick follow-up on the Olympics. If they don't move and they go ahead in, in Beijing, would you favor a boycott? No, I, th- I think it's, a, it's not fair to the students. I mean, to the athletes, uh, I think that, that the, you know, the athletes get, you know, they work their tails off. So I don't believe in a boycott. I, look, I, I believe the Olympics are going to get moved. I think, I think what's happening around the world is people are waking up that there is going to be a winter Olympics for getting past the COVID. They're learning more and more every day about the atrocities happening in communist China, uh, that, that it's going to get, they're going to get moved. Uh, I think we have time for maybe a couple more questions. Phil asks, could you comment on the big corporations going, as he puts it, full woke? Uh, you, you were a businessman before you entered uh, uh, politics. What do you make of the kind of uh, virtue signaling that we seem to get a lot of uh, from, from big corporations these days? I mean, you know, companies like Coke and uh, Delta and Major League Baseball, I mean, they're just cowering to the radical left is all they're doing. Um, and it's, there's going to be a backlash. Um, the, so, I mean, think about this. When these companies do this and you actually look at what they're doing, they're hypocrites. I mean, look at Coke. Coke says, oh, we need to, you know, do something about the election laws in Georgia, which if you look at the election laws in Georgia, they're trying to make sure you have free and fair elections. That's what they're trying to do. There was no suppression there. There was no racist. I mean, there was no racist act there at all. But Coke is okay in communist China selling as much Coke as they can. They'll never call out the fact that you don't even have a right to a vote in communist China. And then Delta said the same thing. And then they fly right into Beijing trying to make as much money as they can. They've never called out them. The worst is Major League Baseball. They played a baseball game in Havana at a stadium stolen at gunpoint by the cash regime. That's okay where they don't have elections. But gosh, in the United States, where somebody's going to ask you for an ID, these these woke CEOs act like that's racist or that's suppression. No, it's not. It's people saying you should have an ID to be able to vote. No one should have their vote diluted. So I think there's going to be an unbelievable backlash against these woke CEOs because they're complete hypocrites. Uh, Let me uh, go back to uh, a question uh, that was posed uh, by Marcel. What impact will the coronavirus uh, have on the U.S.-China relationship? I guess we're all kind of wondering when we're going to get straight answers to the questions about what exactly happened at the outbreak uh, back at the end of 2019, beginning of, of, of 2020. And I'm not, I'm not yet hearing those answers, despite uh, uh, apparent attempts to investigate by the World Health Organization. What are your thoughts on this, Senator? We're not, we're never going to find out. I mean, the World Health Organization is not going to do their job. Um, the, the Biden administration, you know, has, has put no effort into it. I mean, there's nothing that the Biden administration is doing to say we got to get the answers. I mean, they I mean, they went right back in uh, to support the WHO with no. Uh, I mean, it's it's what Biden's doing with everything. It's like he wants to be in in every country club. He says, "Oh, I want to be. I want to be part of. I want to get back into Iran." I mean, I mean, everything they do, it's not about representing America. But where where is uh, the Biden administration on making sure that they are absolutely committed to find out exactly what happened in Wuhan? Right. But here's what I think is going to happen with the, the China relationship. It's over. And here's why. It's not because of what the United States is doing. It's because of the actions of the Communist Party of China. Let's never forget 
China is a communist country run by the Communist Party of China for the benefit of the Communist Party of China. Those actions, everybody over time is going to figure out, oh, gosh, they are, they are not our friend. How many of us, when the Soviet uh, Union was out uh, as our uh, Cold War adversary saying, oh, I want to go take a vacation there, or I want to, other than Bernie Sanders, uh, take a vacation there or buy products from them. No, what's going to happen is these, these because of communist China's actions, this will, our relationship will decouple because of their actions. Time for just one last question from me. What are you going to say to those who inevitably will say, uh, you complain about the deficits uh, under uh, President Biden. What about the deficits under President Trump? Isn't it a bit tricky for Republicans to uh, preach uh, fiscal stabilization after four years when, let's face it, it really wasn't a priority? It, it always has been for me. I paid off a third of the state debt in Florida in my eight years as governor. The 20 prior years before I was governor, the state debt had increased every year by over a billion dollars, even in years where they had surpluses, they kept borrowing money. I've been talking about the debt and talking about the risk of inflation since I got up here and before. I've been up, I've been up here a couple of years uh, in the Republican caucus last week. Uh, I led an effort to that where every Republican senator agreed, we will not raise the debt ceiling, which comes up in August without structural reform to our to our our, uh, our cost structure, so um, so I'm I'm optimistic that all Republicans are, are focused on this. I know the country, I, Americans care about this. Americans, you know, you can't lead your life with just borrowing more money every year. You can't lead your life with spending more than what you take in uh, every year. So neither can government. So I did it as governor. I've been I've been complaining about the federal debt since I got up here, and I'm going to fight uh, to make sure we start living within our means. Well, I'm afraid uh, that is all we have time for uh, in your busy schedule, uh, Senator Scott. Uh, and I want to thank you uh, for your time uh, and for a great conversation, as well as to thank everyone uh, who sent over questions. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all of those. Um, uh, you can learn more about this uh, series at hoover.org forward slash capital conversations online. Thank you all very much indeed for uh, joining us today. And I hope you'll tune back in on May the 26th for a discussion uh, between Kevin Hassett and Senator Jack Reed. Thank you very much. Thanks, Neil.